Thanks for joining us for today's message. We're always so encouraged to know that God is using this ministry to touch lives all around the world through what he's doing right here at Meadowbrook. So if that's you and you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please send us an email at godstories at nbcocala.org. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can do so by giving online. Thanks so much for joining us and prepare your heart to hear from God. Would you help us welcome our internet audience? Thank you guys for tuning in, for joining us. Glad you're here. You guys may be seated. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks so much for coming out tonight. Uh, My name is Sean. I'm the community life pastor here. And I'm just so honored to be able to share my heart with you guys. Um, Grateful for our pastors, Pastor Tim and Alicia. Aren't you grateful for them? I'm honored that they would ask me to, to fill in for them and uh, some of the pastors that I get to work with directly are Pastor Tim and Alicia, and then our executive pastors, um, Pastor Tom Fox and Pastor John Bullington. Man, they are just doing an amazing work, and what a team we have here. What a great leadership team we have here. And uh, I'm just personally grateful for them, for what they are instilling into my life, and really what they're instilling into our ministry. God's doing something here, isn't he? And I hear about Easter coming up, and that we're, we're believing God to reach 12,000 people. Man, that is, I'm so glad to be part of something that God is doing something big in. That's a big deal. And not only are we believing God for 1,200 people to come through the doors, but we're believing for hundreds of dedications and rededications to God. We're believing for hundreds of people to get their life right with Jesus Christ. And so, you know, we want you guys, man, to be, be on board with us on that. Be believing with us. Be praying for that. Man, take time. If you need to put it on your calendar, put it on your fridge. Let's really just extend our faith for what God wants to do here that weekend of April 4th and the 5th. And so we need your help as far as serving and, and connecting for, for that day particularly. Uh, and, and then in general, that'd be great, but especially for that day. And then we also need your just jumping on board and being part of our prayer team as we're paving that out and, and doing some big things for God. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Well, uh, our goal here as Christians and here at Meadowbrook is that we never stop growing. If we're not growing, we're, we're dying. And so we never want to stop growing. We want to continue to grow in our relationship with God. We want to continue to grow in our knowledge of who God is. And that's really what this idea, this belief series that we've been working on for the last couple of years is we're wanting to really find out what are those things that God has for us and wants us to believe and through his word. And so we've been discovering that. And last week, if you weren't here, Pastor Tim did a great job talking about uh, this concept. And, and he broke it down like this. Uh, the bad news and the good news. And the bad news is this, that sin ruined everything. And he also said it this way, I thought was really good, kind of putting it to today, right where we are today, is that sin ruins everything. Because sin is still taking place today. But what I love about God is it doesn't stop there. Amen? There is good news, and that is the gospel. And it broken down this way so plainly and so just kind of right into where we are is that Jesus died for me. Can you just say that with me? Say, Jesus died for me. And I love that. We should never forget that we have a God that sent his son to die for me. And I think it's good to make it personal like that and to own that and not just say, you know, Jesus died for them, but Jesus died for me. It's it's for us. And so Pastor Tim asked me to kind of uh, jump in here and talk about this idea of repentance, 
this idea of repentance. And so I'm going to dig into some things and, and show some things and reveal some things to us tonight. I really believe God's going to speak to our hearts. Um, but throughout the whole Bible, uh, the Old Testament, the New Testament, we see this happening. We see uh, to, to repent and we see repentance taking place and us uh, being taught and what that looks like. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, the word repentance means to turn the other way. Simply put, it means to turn the other way. In the Greek, in the New Testament, it means to change one's mind or thought. Then it's leading to a change of action. So to change one's mind or thought. And I believe our our thinking really then begins to direct kind of where we go in life. What happens in our, our head and then combines with our heart and kind of propels us to what we do in our life. And so it's really important here that we, we see that repentance is to change one's mind or thought, and then it leads to a change of action. Um, real quick, I had the opportunity to take my wife, Jessica, and my, my two kids. My kids are getting old. I'm not sure what that says about me, but my son's uh, 12 and my daughter's getting ready to turn 10, and that's crazy. Um, but I love my kids. I love my family. We had a chance to go to uh, New York for Christmas. We, instead of doing gifts, we just said, hey, let's, let's just kind of get crazy and let's just let's go to New York. And so I have family up there, and so we stayed on Long Island, and we had a, a really good time. I was born in, in, in Long Island. I moved down here in Florida when I, when I was 10. So I feel like I'm a Floridian, not a New Yorkian, if that's a word. But... Uh, we, had, we had a great time, and, and uh, I've, been, I've, I've driven up the East Coast before, but it usually as far as I stopped would be like Virginia, and we stayed there a few times. But this time we were, we were heading past Virginia, and we were going through New Jersey, and then we were going through the Bronx. I was, I was paving territory that I was not prepared to pave. Um, how many of you guys know that New Jersey and the Bronx and New York and New York City, that's different than Ocala. It's, <laughs> it's different kind of road systems and different kind of stuff, and one of the uh, couple of nights we were able to stay into New York City, and man, that was an, a, a beautiful, amazing experience, such a great time, but it was, it was different. And I was trying to figure out how to use the subway and the maps and the roads and where do I go from here and where do I go from there. But during that whole trip, while I was driving, while we were walking around doing different things, there was times that I've lost direction. There was times that I, I, I was going one place, I wanted to go to one place, and, and to, I was going the wrong direction to get there. So what I had to do was this. I had to turn a U-turn. Yes, sir. I, I had to make this U-turn, and I think I have just a symbol of what that, we had to make this U-turn. We had to change the direction that we were going to get to the destination we wanted to be. And so that's kind of the picture of, of what this is. And on this trip, while I was driving, while I was walking, I became a master of U-turns. Like, I mastered the art of U-turning. And, and that's, that's, that's the idea, this U-turn, this change of direction. It's kind of what we want to look at tonight. So who is repentance for? Who's repentance for? It, it's, it's for the unbeliever. It's for the believer. It's for the non-Christian, the unsaved, and for the Christian. For the unbeliever, the non-Christian maybe hasn't made that step to give their life fully to God. It's, it's, uh, it's repentance and faith combined that leads to salvation. So it's for the unbeliever. It's also for the believer. I believe for Christians, repentance is for us. Even after you've made that step towards salvation, there is this continued course correction that has to take place in our lives. We are the uh, continual, continual kind of renewal, continual course correction in our lives. 
So kind of keeping the idea of this whole car thing, um, 1995, I was given a 1987 white Cavalier station wagon. And I think the last time I talked with you guys, I, I told you that I, I blew the engine up in that thing twice. It was an amazing experience. But it was a great car. I had a lot of fun with the car. I had it for a couple years. And one of the cool, unique things about this car is it had like a nitrous-powered power steering system. So it was, it was like power steering on steroids. You could like look at the steering wheel and it would turn random kind of directions and different things. And so as I was driving this car, I couldn't just, you know, not pay attention or I couldn't just like drive with one hand. I had to actually drive with two hands and it was constant going like this to make sure that I wasn't going to run off the road. I wasn't going to go to incoming traffic, that I was going to stay on the course that God, or that, that I needed to go. And that's what God wants us to do. God wants us as Christians to stay on course. He wants us to stay on course. And so that's just kind of a little idea of uh, repentance. And let me, let me share this with you too. Sometimes repentance can be confused with just emotion. It can be confused just with emotion. Biblical repentance can include emotion. I think that's part of that, but it's a little deeper than that. And it's, again, the idea that turns from one path to another path. God's path. So I get this idea from that. False repentance feels, false repentance just feels, true repentance activates change in our lives. So false repentance feels, true repentance is going to activate a change in our lives. All right, so let's dig into this a little bit. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, it says this. So repent, change your mind and purpose. Turn around and return to who? Return to God. That your sins may be erased, blotted out, and wiped clean. That times of refreshing, of recovering from the effects of heat, of reviving with fresh air, may come from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that good? So much vivid imagery in this passage of Scripture. I just want to break down four parts of this, and you can go back to that first slide as I um, start this. Just kind of leave that up on the screen. But uh, there's four pieces that I, that I want to kind of break down. But full, throughout this whole passage of Scripture, there's so much action that's required on our part. There, there's things that are required on our part. But I want to kind of go through this and kind of lay out these four pieces. The first one is this, and we've kind of just been talking about it. It's the idea of repent, to repent. Again, it's to change your mind and purpose. Change your thinking to change your direction. To repent, to change your mind and purpose. The second thought is to turn around and return to God. Turn around and return to God. So when we, when we make that adjustment, we make that turn in our lives, it's not that we're making that turn just to go to another random place. We're making that adjustment, we're making that change in our lives to return to God. Because God is our source. It's not the other stuff in, the, in our world that's our source. It's not our finances. It's not uh, other individuals. It's, it's not money. It's God that's our source. And so when we make adjustments, when we know we need to make a change, we have to go to our source for that change, not for other things that won't give us what we need. So it's, it's kind of having action with a purpose, not just running in a random direction, but action with a purpose, returning to God. The third part here that I love, it's God's part. This is what God does. It says here that sin is erased. It's erased. It's blotted out, and it's wiped clean. Can you picture that? Sin is erased, it's blotted out, it's wiped clean. When I was in uh, fourth grade, I was in Miss Adcock's class. Uh, fourth grade, it was a couple years ago. 
but I was in Miss Adclock's class. One of my responsibilities was the board, the board eraser. So I was, I was to erase the board at the end of the day, and I think I had a name badge. I think, maybe I think I did in my mind, but it would, be, it would have been cool to have a name badge, board eraser. But I was to erase the board, and then at the end of the week, I was to not just erase the board, but to get a, a bucket and a sponge, right? And you put the sponge in the water, and then you, you wipe the board down. Now, that's not wiped clean. Like, have you ever done that before? Like, you still know that, that there's chalk on that board. It's just kind of smeared. It's kind of smudged around. There's chalk, like, on the floor. It's all over my hair. It's all on you know, my hands. It's everywhere. It, doesn't ever, it never goes away. I don't think you could really make a chalkboard clean again. But that's what we're looking for. We're not, we're not wanting that kind of experience. That's not what God has for us. It's not a smudged kind of cleaning. It's not a just kind of, sort of clean. It's a wiped clean. It's a blotted out. It's a, it's a, a sin-erased kind of clean. It's a uh, nothing left behind, nothing attached. It's a full forgiveness. That's what God does for us. And so that's what God's part is. And that's a big part. I'm grateful for that part. That's, that's a huge part. Amen. And then here's the result. So we have this idea of repentance. We turn around and we return to God. And then God does his part. He wipes it clean. He blots it out. He erases the sin. And then the fourth part is the result. And we find the result um, in this part of the scripture where it says there'll be times of refreshing. There'll be recovery. There'll be reviving with fresh air from the presence of of the Lord. Man, that sounds good to me. I need that in my life. I need times of refreshing. I need times of recovery. I need times of reviving with fresh air. Not walking into a room and to, or to a house that the air is just kind of stale and kind of stiff. You know what I'm talking about? But walking into a house that in, in the middle of the, the beautiful 60 or 50 degree weather in the, in the winter months of Florida and the windows are open and you walk in and it just feels good. Yeah. Right? So times of refreshing, recovery, reviving with fresh air from the presence of the Lord. That is the result of this idea of repentance. So let's look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 kind of says it this way. It says, that means you must not give sin a vote in the way that you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. I like that. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, we're not living under that old tyranny any longer. We're living in the freedom of God. That's how we're living. We're not living in the tyranny of sin under the rule of sin. We're living in the freedom of God. I like this idea that sin can't tell you how to live. Sin doesn't rule us. We rule that. We rule sin because we have a God who sent his son Jesus to pay the price for our sin. And so sin, if, if we allow it to, it can rule us. But we have the, the power, because of what Jesus did for us, that it, for it not to rule us. And so sin can't tell you how to live. And then I love this idea that we're living in the freedom of God. That goes back to that last verse, where we can have times of refreshing, recovery, reviving with fresh air. Living in freedom with God means maybe the chains are gone. 
the, the weights are kind of casted off, that maybe we can run free without the luggage and the baggage because we have freedom in God. That's good stuff. Listen to this idea. Biblical repentance is a change that reveals itself in how we live. So biblical repentance is the change that reveals itself in how we live. Matthew chapter 3, verse 8 in the New Living Translation says, Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. So by the way that we would live, that we would prove that we have repented for our sins. That there maybe means that, that means that we, that it requires a change. A change of direction, a change ahead of us. So, I want to go over two things tonight that I believe in through Scripture that can hold us back from the idea of repentance. And I think if we were all to ask ourselves, like, yeah, you know what? I need to have course correction in my life. You know what? There are things that I constantly need to look at in my life and maybe some things I need to repent on and, and maybe readjust. But maybe there's some things in our lives that hold us back from getting there. Maybe there's some things that hold us back from making that happen. And so I want to talk about a few of those tonight, really just two of those. And the first one is this. The first one is pride. Pride. Maybe it's that idea that, you know, we think we're better than others. Or maybe it's the idea that maybe I don't need to change. I'm good enough just the way that I am. Um, maybe it's that we wear the mask of pride, so we want it to look like we've got everything kind of put together on the outside. But really on the inside, we're struggling. We're going through this problem. We're going through this issue. We're, we're kind of putting on a facade of, hey, we got to put together when really on the inside, we're really hurting. But I, I think we can kind of put that facade out there sometimes, and I think we kind of put that idea out there sometimes, but really it's not really true in what we really need. Maybe we really do need that idea of repentance. And so what's the opposite of pride? Humility, right? God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so in our lives, we need to cultivate that idea of humility. We got to cultivate it. It means we got we to work at it. We got to build it. We got to do something there. We, we have to have that desire to have humility in our lives. And I think one of the ways that we can do that is constant check-ins with God. Consistent check-ins with God. I think we can uh, get before God and develop that check-in and, and a time that we can sit before him and say, God, is there anything in my life that I need to repent of? And I think that's healthy. That's a healthy place to be. And I would rather have healthy maintenance than have to deal with major crisis. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'd rather just work on healthy maintenance. I think either way is hard. Maybe healthy maintenance is hard, and maybe major crisis is hard. But I'd rather work, if I, if I had to work on something, I'd rather work on healthy maintenance than major crisis. So I'd rather change the oil in my car every few months than have to put a new engine in it every year. Right? <laughs> So it's that healthy maintenance, that routine, those check-ins, those, hey, God, is there anything in my life that I need to kind of reassure and, and repent of? Psalms 139 says this. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Isn't that good? Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me to the uh, path of everlasting life. So how does, God, how does God do this? If that's our desire, if we want God to search our hearts, how does he do that? Well, I think there's a few ways. I think through God's word, 
God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It directs us. It leads us. It'll show us some things. It would reveal some things to us. I think through consistent prayer life, the communication with God, inviting God into that process is a big part of what that looks like. Um, I believe the Holy Spirit is used in, in, in our lives to um, reveal things to our hearts and to show us some things. So God's word, our prayer life, the Holy Spirit, those are all big pieces. And if we're not taking advantage of those things, if we're not taking a, advantage of spending that time with God and his word and, and our prayer life and uh, inviting the Holy Spirit to show us things, then we're really missing out on what God really could do in our lives. And so I don't want to miss out. I want to get into some of this stuff. And so through God's word, through prayer time, through the Holy Spirit, and I also believe through other believers that God wants to show us some of those things. Through other believers. I believe God uses people to help people. I really do. And he does that through relationships. And we do that here at Meadowbrook through small groups. Through small groups. How many of you guys have been in a, in a small group over the last year at some point? You've been in a small group? Awesome. Fantastic. God's doing something in our small groups. God's, God's revealing some things. God is, God is changing some people. And I love seeing what God's doing in that way. Let's, let's dig into this in Galatians chapter 6. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. It doesn't say you, sh- you shall be mean to that person. It doesn't mean that you should, you know, embarrass them and call them out in front of, you know, uh, hundreds of people. It says you should gently and humbly help keep that person on the right path. Let's go to the next slide. And be careful not to fall in the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Isn't that good? If you think you're too important to help someone else, I'm just reading this now. Don't get, don't get mad at me. If you think you're too important to help someone else, you're only fooling yourselves. You're not that important. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> so I believe God uses people to help people. And so how do we do that? We gently and humbly come along each other and we share each other's burdens. We help pick each other up. We strengthen each other. We have healthy confrontation with each other. And man, we're seeing that happen in small groups like crazy. Life change is happening in those small group environments. So we're seeing people, you know, uh, in salvations. We're seeing people make commitments for baptism. We're seeing people set free from addictions, uh, marriages restored, financial breakthrough, people being encouraged because people are helping people. We're going to see those things through God's word, the things that we need to adjust and we're going to change. We're going to see it through prayer. We're going to see it by the Holy Spirit, but we're also going to see it by the people that we're around day in and day out. And so that also encourages me that there's a part for me to play. That the people in my life, the people that I come in contact with day in and day out, maybe God wants to use Sean. And maybe God wants to use you. That maybe there's some things that the Holy Spirit would speak to me and speak to you that we can encourage that person with. So if we see people running down the road and they're running towards a wall, man, don't you want to, hey, listen, there's a wall ahead. Don't you want to do that? Man, if you know someone's going to hurt themselves physically, man, are you just going to watch them be like, (laughs) watch this, 
They're getting ready to bust right there, man. It's going to be so cool. Now, some of you guys might be thinking, yeah, that'd be funny. But that's not really what we, what we need to do. We need to look out for each other. You know, and if, if you know of a, a marriage that's falling apart and we're just, we're just watching it go by and not doing anything, I think that we gently and humbly need to do something about it. If we see somebody locked into addiction and we're just watching it happen, I think there's something that we can gently and do something about it. Now, it's up to that individual if they're going to make that choice or not, but my role is to gently and humbly reach out to them and carry, help carry the burden that they're, that they're carrying. If they want to carry it or not, that's up to them. But my role is to gently, humble and, gently and humbly try to help them. And I think that's the role of, our, our, of the church and role of Christians, that we need to be on the lookout for those kind of things, be ready to help each other, be ready to help each other in that way. So the first idea that things that can hold us back from repentance is the idea of pride. The second thing is really big, and it's, it's the idea of shame, the idea of shame. So the devil works overtime to try to keep us in shame. He really does. He tries to keep us trapped in shame, and when we're trapped in shame, he's trying to keep us away from a relationship with God. Because when, we're, when, we, when we have a heart of shame, if shame is overwhelming us, then we're kind of isolating ourselves. We are thinking that maybe we're not good enough or that we've, we're too messed up. Or we're, not, we're not worthy enough to repent and to turn. We get, we get in this trap. We get stuck. And I think a lot of times, you know, we had the illustration earlier about the U-turn. But I think a lot of times we have this kind of thought process too. It's like, no U-turn. And we get trapped here and we get stuck here. And that's a frustrating thing for a guy like me that is a master of U-turns, is that when I need, a, when I need a flip a U, you know, when I need to, to make a U-turn and then I'm not able to, and you see that sign, and because we're all law-abiding citizens in this room, we don't turn a U-turn on the sign, right? right. So, but this is what the devil tries to do, because in the inside, through God's word and through prayer and through the Holy Spirit and through others, man, maybe on the inside we're like, you know what? I need to make that adjustment. I need that course correction. But the devil's saying, you know what? No, you're trapped, man. You, you're full. You, know, you're, you have so much shame in your life. You don't understand what you've done. And the devil's trying to say, you know what? You can't make the U-turn. You can't change direction. And we get stuck. But I want you to know tonight that you don't have to be stuck in shame. You can be set free in God. Amen? So we don't have to be stuck in shame. And I think this is, amen, I think this is a, a thought, and I think this is for, for somebody tonight, this idea of shame, and, and, and even this next thought I'm getting ready to share with you. So, so listen to this. I believe this is for, for, for one, for many, but it's this. Don't carry shame and guilt over sins that you've already confessed. Amen. Don't carry shame and guilt for sins that you've already confessed, things that you've already repented for. Don't carry the shame for that. And a lot of times because of the way our mind works is we, we revert back to those moments. But if you've, if you've confessed that, if you've gotten that right before God, if you've made that U-turn and you repented before God, don't, don't carry the shame and guilt for that. Why? Because you know, what, um, you know what God did by his son Jesus? He wiped it white as snow. He erased it. He blotted it out. He erased that sin out of our lives. And so it's not yours anymore. And so don't allow the devil to, to trap you and to say, well, you know what? Maybe because of that, or maybe because of this, and you know, you should feel this way, and you should feel that way. That's not God. That's not God. That's the devil trying to put shame in your life and, and, uh, and, and trap you in that way. And so the devil works overtime to keep us in shame. 
And so if you feel shame, make the adjustment. Course correct. What is it that you feel shame about? And once you've done that, don't allow the devil to keep you in that trap. Amen? Amen. Let me share with you the heart of God, the heart of our Father. This is God's heart. 1 John 1.9 says this, If we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, he is faithful. Great is his faithfulness. And just, true to his own nature and promise. And he and, or excuse me, and will forgive our sins, dismiss our lawlessness, and continuously cleanse us from all unrighteousness, everything not in conformity to his will and purpose, thought, and action. So it says he will, con- he will, he will free us, he will cleanse us from anything that is not uh, part of, that is anything from all unrighteousness. And un- having unrighteousness is everything that's not in conformity to his will or purpose. And so to be right standing with God, what has he done? He's erased, he's blotted out, he's made clean. And when that happens, when we've repented of those things in our lives, we've made those course corrections, then he's cleansed us and he's made us righteous. We've turned from shame to freedom. We turn from pride to a God who wants us to put him first in our lives. I like what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says this, there is, no, uh, excuse me, there is therefore now no condemnation. There's no guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says it this way. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. We're free because of Christ. And so we need to stand into that freedom. I want to kind of wrap this up by looking at a passage of scripture in Luke chapter 15. This is Jesus sharing this uh, parable of the prodigal son. And you guys know how the story goes. And um, the son went to his father and said, hey, give me all my inheritance. I'm ready to do this on my own. I'm ready to leave where I am and I'm ready to go and do what, what maybe I want to do. And so he leaves his, his dad and he goes out and, and really kind of wastes his inheritance and uh, wraps it up in just earthly things and uh, all those things that kind of what it looks like. And, and um, in verse 16, he, he ends up being in this, this pig's pen. He's in this pig's pen and he's taking care of the pig, pigs just to have a place to stay and just to have a place maybe to eat some of the slop that would be left over from the pigs. He's at a place of desperation. He's heading in the wrong direction. And verse 17, we'll pick up here, and it says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against you, both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. This part of the beginning of verse 17 says, he finally came to his senses. He finally came to the realization of, I don't want to do it my way. I don't want to live my life my way. I don't want to go in the direction that just Sean wants to go. Because we've all been here. We've all, I've had moments of, man, I, I, I come into my senses kind of moments. <laughs> We, we've had those kind of moments. We've kind of had those interactions. And let's just be honest too, we've all kind of had those experience of maybe living in the, in the pig's pen a little bit. Maybe not like really, like 
your house is dirty, that kind of thing. I'm saying kind of in that, in that idea of the, a low place. A low place, feeling weary, feeling overwhelmed, feeling all alone, desperation. And it kind of goes back to the idea I talked about earlier that, you know, we need each other. And there's some of you guys that maybe are in that pig's pen right now. You're kind of in that place, place of desperation. And there's some of you guys that aren't. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I just want to jump over the fence of the pig's pen and help rescue somebody and help gently and humbly help them recover out of there and come to their senses and run to God. See, his thought was that he was going to go home and, man, if he could just be a hired servant, that would be good enough. But God had bigger plans. And our God does have bigger plans. And his thought was coming to a census that if I could just be a hired servant, if I could just repent, if I could just do a U-turn, if I could just change the course of direction and just be a lowly hired servant, then that would be good enough. But that's not what Jesus said in this parable. Jesus says, the father had his arms wide open and fully ready to forgive, fully ready to accept back, fully ready to help move from where he was to where God wanted him to be. And that's what God wants for us to do. And so we've got to, as Christians, amen, we've got to, as Christians, we've got to have this idea and we've got to have this desire that, that there's this constant kind of correction, this constant kind of coming to our senses. And I want to challenge all of us that this would be a week, even as we're working towards this idea of Easter and what Jesus did for us by dying and, and uh, um, uh, rising again on the third day, seated at the right hand of the Father, that these next few weeks, will you take some extra time Will you let God's word speak to your heart? Are there some things that you need to adjust, to realign, reposition? Things that maybe you need to repent on, to change the way that you think and the way that you process? What are those things? I don't want to just live day in and day out without putting God number one in my life. And so you may just develop a plan. Maybe that you have something on your, uh, on your bathroom mirror or in your car, or in your devotion time, putting on your fridge. And maybe just, hey, realign today with God. Course correct today. God, would you show me some things? And it may be maybe smaller things, maybe how you're talking, or maybe even bigger things, and maybe some lifestyle changes. But I believe in all of us, God wants to, us to come to our senses and to readjust and realign. And he's right there waiting. His arms wide open. Amen. Did you guys get anything out of this tonight? Thank you guys so much for listening.